China Business Council, and welcome to the China Path podcast. It's been a while between pods, but we're happy to be back bringing you episodes on Australia-China business and the people-to-people links that underpin the Australia-China relationship. To listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts where you can also find your preferred listening platform and episode show notes. We'd also like to thank the Australia-China Council at DFAT for their support of this podcast. On this episode, we look at the growing sector of education and how two-way student mobility fosters Australia-China engagement. I was recently in Beijing and met with Minister-Counselor for Education and Research, Catherine Vickers. In our chat, we discuss why Chinese students see Australia as such a popular study destination and look at areas Australia could improve and the highly competitive industry of international education. We also look at the opportunities for TAFE institutions and Australians studying under the new Colombo plan in China, how Chinese students appraise their time in Australia, and whether recent challenges in the Australia-China relationship have an effect on student numbers. Catherine commenced her posting in China in April 2015 Previously, she was director of the Strategic Policy Unit within the Department of Education and Training's International Group, where she supported the development of the National Strategy for International Education and the establishment of the Council for International Education. Catherine has contributed to a broad range of Australian government policies and reforms and has led the department's government-to-government engagement with China since 2010. Catherine has just concluded her posting in China and will return to the international area of the Department of Education and Training in early September 2018. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here in Beijing with Catherine Vickers, the Minister Counselor for Education and Research. Thanks a lot for having me today, Catherine. You're very welcome. Um, so, Catherine, can we start out by looking at the picture of how many Chinese students are there in Australia at the moment? So, at the moment, there are roughly 184,000 Chinese students. And I should stress that they mm. are 184,000 Chinese people on a student visa. What parts in China do these students come from? So the top source province Mm. for Chinese students for many years has been Guangdong province. And you can understand why that is, because Guangdong has got a very high GDP. People can afford to send their kids overseas. And of course, it's got a long history of outward-looking people, people Mm. who want to go beyond China. The other top-sending provinces are Jiangsu province, uh, Jiangsu is also in the south, and you may be aware it's got a very strong sister-state relationship with mm. the, with Victoria. Uh, Beijing, um, obviously, a lot of very bright people and a lot of people who can afford to send their, their kids overseas. Also in the top five is Shanghai, mm. but surprisingly also is Shandong province. Okay. And Shandong is an interesting province. The reasons are different. Mm. It's not 
necessarily the same as the reasons in Guangdong. Guangdong, you've got a lot of people there, a lot of money, they've got the means to send their kids overseas. Shandong province is a very populous province in China. It has one of the biggest populations doing the Gaokao, which is the year 12 or university entrance um, qualification. But it has very, very few top tier universities. Okay. So kids who are really bright and whose parents can afford it um, from Shandong province will go overseas to study. After completing the Gaokao, would a Chinese student typically look for a university within their own province? Chinese students completing the Gaokao, the ones that do the absolute best, they want to go to the top Chinese universities. Okay. And that will be their number one preference. Mm. So here we're talking about PKU, um, we're talking about um, down in Shanghai, Fudan, Shanghai Jiao Tong, mm. Tsinghua in, in Beijing. Okay. So the first preference for a really bright student with the top Gaokao scores will generally be one of the top Chinese universities. Mm, okay. What if we flip that? How important is it to China that student mobility is two-way? Very important. And when President Xi was in Australia in mm. 2014, uh, we signed a new memorandum of understanding with the Chinese government to cover two-way student, researcher and academic mobility. Okay. Chinese government has got a very hard target for the number of international students it wants to attract into China. Mm. It wants to attract about 500,000 international students into Chinese universities by 2020 and they are definitely on track to do that. Mm. Uh, A lot of these young people are from Belt and Road, um, what we call Belt and Road Mm. countries, but a lot of them are for Australia as well, including just over 5,000 Australian students studying in China last calendar year. Hmm. Um, So in addition to universities, what other Australian education providers benefit from the influx of Chinese students? So it's really more about the demand for education from Chinese students and their families. Right. Chinese students travelling to Australia are generally doing a higher education course. And it makes sense. You think about it. If you're putting in significant resources to send your child overseas to study, you're, you're going to look for the top education offering you can find. So by and large, um, students are going to Australia for higher education, not for vocational education and training. Having said that, Australian vocational education and training providers have, over the past three decades, we believe, educated around about 200,000 mm. young Chinese people. And they're doing that by coming into China partnering with a vocational college or a university right. and delivering vocational courses here in China. Oh, right. And some of those kids use it as pathway, so they'll do a vocational course here um, and then they'll use it as a, as a pathway to articulate into something um, higher ed in mm. Australia. But many of them don't because they come from um, families that can't afford to send them overseas but they're kids that are being trained by a particular industry here. Mm. And so our vocational education and training providers are doing an enormous amount to help um, provide the skilled workforce for industries um, such as finance, banking, pharmaceuticals, even construction Mm. um, and uh, health and creative arts. The other benefit of strong demand is in the school area. So while... Some parents are sending their kids down to Australia quite early Mm. uh, to do school. And um, the visas are very conducive to that now. Mm. You have kids 
from middle school going down to Australia to, to start school. But we also have kids that are doing an Australian Year 12 qualification with a partner and an Australian school working together here. And there are thousands every year, thousands of young high school students graduating with either the um, Victorian Certificate of Education, the South Australian Certificate, the Western Australian Certificate and so on. And those young people actually have their Australian study experience before they leave China. And so is that also through a partnership with a local Chinese education provider? It usually is. Mm. Um, in most cases, it's a partnership with a, a Chinese school. Yep. And that Chinese school, the reason they're doing that is because and this is where the win-win comes in, yep. they'll be able to provide those kids or those the parents of those kids with an international qualification. Okay. Very strong demand for that. But they will also benefit, the host institution benefits, because they have Australian teachers coming in, mm. helping develop the professional um, qualifications of the local Chinese teachers and helping to internationalise the school. Mm, right. So... In some parts, there's a sort of a capacity building yep. um, side to Australian schools delivering school programs here, as well as um, meeting the demands of the students and their parents. So for a Chinese student that's thinking of studying abroad, how does that Chinese student initially hear about an Australian university? What's the first point of contact? First point of con contact is either word of mouth, yep. so their parents or someone in their extended family, or they've had a cousin, mm. or um, you know, a friend's friend has gone to Australia to study. Word of mouth is really, really strong determinant of where people will go to study. Okay. But the other one is um, student recruitment agents. Uh, parents here in China, they listen to student recruitment agents, uh, and they listen to their advice about where their, student, where their child should go um, and, and what their child needs in order to make their application. So agents have a very, very close relationship with the parents in China. So does an agent visit students and present to students in their final year at high school here in China? That happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we have... Uh, the representatives of Australian institutions doing that. Oh, right. So, for example, almost all of the Australian universities have got what we call a, a, a rep office okay. in China. Um, for example, our top one of our top universities, Australian National University, has got a new office here. Mm. And that office does a lot of outreach, not just into Chinese schools across China, but also into schools that teach foreign passport holders. Okay. Um, and different universities have a different approach, um, but generally speaking, they will do that as well as work through recruitment agents. When a student is weighing up whether to study in Australia, the US, UK, Canada, or New Zealand, what value proposition does Australia have that stands out against its competitors here? Well, we actually measure this. Mm. So we've got hard data. We survey our international students every two years mm. and they tell us, we've well, got a, a subset of that survey that talks about why did you choose Australia, for example. And one of the main reasons that Chinese students or all international students in actual fact choose Australia is because of the quality of our institutions, mm. the quality and the reputation of our institutions. 
the recognition of our qualifications, the fact that our qualifications are recognised globally. Uh, the other factor is the safe and welcoming yep. um, destination. So Australia is seen overwhelmingly as a safe and friendly place. Mm. Uh, and that comes out in our, our survey repeatedly. And the other thing is is that we have very attractive um, post-study work arrangements. Okay. Um, our visa system allows people to stay after they complete their course of study and work full-time for a period depending on what length of time they studied for. Mm. And also we allow people to combine study with work. So you can work 40 hours a fortnight while your course is in session mm. or unlimited hours you know over the summer break okay. or if you're a postgraduate student unlimited hours and a lot of people see that as very attractive because it helps offset the cost right. of studying overseas um is there anything australia can learn from the competition is there anything these other nations are doing that australia could learn from I think one of the key things we could learn um, particularly from the u.s is how to do alumni engagement better okay we have elevated that as a, a top policy priority for international education, Julie Bishop leads on that work mm. as, the, as the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Trade. Okay. And she has a, uh, a very clever alumni engagement strategy where we talk about we have to connect and engage with our alumni. And sometimes universities and, and other education institutions have actually lost touch. Okay. So that can be a real challenge. Um, you and I were talking earlier about the, the aid... Um, effort, Australia's yeah. aid effort. We used to give a lot of aid scholarships to people in China uh, and we just recently ramped up efforts to try and re-engage with those alumni, okay. people who studied in Australia at a university on an AusAid, mm. um, on an Australia Awards scholarship who we've lost contact with. So it's about connecting, engaging. Once we connect and engage, it's about mobilising them. Mm. So one of the best word of mouth tools that you can have for an education and research system is your alumni mm. and we all recognize that not just the government but universities as well that we could do a hell of a lot more and in vocational education and training i said to you earlier mm. two hundred thousand, we think um that we've educated in vet here yeah where are all those people right what have they gone on to do right so this is going to be a new priority for us we've just uh, commissioned from the Department of Education, we've just commissioned the Australian Council of Education Research to start doing a, a survey of people who are currently studying VET in programs here mm. that are delivered jointly. And this is a really good initiative because we haven't done it in the past and so we've lost connection mm. with all those wonderful graduates. Unless they articulate into Australia to a, to a university course, um, it's very hard to maintain that contact with those people. One of the things that we really all need to be able to know is like, who are those really influential alumni? Right. Who are the people who've now gone on to be really influential in China, who've got the ear of people, whether it's government or whether it's business, who are those people? Well, we need I, to work harder. I've read recently that the Chinese envoy to North Korea studied at Monash University. This is the story. This yeah. is the story of alumni, and this is why uh, Minister Bishop has put this strategy out there, because we know 
that there are people across the whole of Asia, across the whole of the Indo-Pacific, yeah. who are in these influential positions sure. and that they've studied in Australia. When, when I go and meet with some of the Ministry of Education-affiliated organisations here, some of the portfolio bodies, I'm always amazed when, when people say to me, oh, yeah, eight of my staff studied in Australia. Right. Or, you know, my... Um, my deputy here studied in Australia. There yeah. are people all over China, all throughout levels of government and business. In addition to university fees, how else do international students benefit the Australian economy? They benefit the Australian economy by bringing the world to us. Mm. One of the key things that we really have been wanting to do in international education is talk about, yes, we are providing education to the world mm. and those people generally go home and they make a, a massive contribution to their home country's economy mm. but they also help to open up the eyes of Australians to the potential beyond our own shores Australia cannot survive on its own you know we have a lot of migration we openly embrace it all of our social inclusion surveys show that we value it but we still as uh, as a country, our young people tend to study their full degrees in Australia. Mm. They might go overseas for a short period of time for a short-term study, which is fantastic, but we would like to see more Australian students doing longer-term study overseas um, in another country and then bringing that international outlook and those international skills and those connections that they make back to Australia, mm. Australian business and, and other sectors. Right. Now, the Australian-China relationship is uh, becoming more complex. Um, do political bumps in the relationship affect student numbers at all? Look, I don't think they do. When I talk to people when I'm out and about, and I get out and about an awful lot, I've just come back from a conference in Shenzhen, which was hosted by a wonderful polytechnic down there that has a has a wonderful relationship with Federation University in Ballarat. Mm. Just one example, I spoke to a woman down there and she said, oh, I spent eight weeks in Ballarat on a short-term professional development opportunity down there with, with our partner organisation. I was overwhelmed by how friendly everybody was. Just mm. walking down the street, the people coming towards me would say, hello, <laughs> g'day, how are you? Right. Um, I hear stories like that all the time when I'm out and about, particularly when I'm talking to the alumni of our Endeavour Scholarship Program. Yeah. And those Endeavour Scholarship awardees tell the story over and over again about how wonderfully friendly Australians have, are, how they open up their homes, mm. they'll bend over backwards to help you out. They want you to go away, this is what people tell me, they want us to go away with a good feeling about Australia, overwhelmingly. Right. Okay. And that is the sense we get. And that survey I told you about that we do every two years, one of the indicators that we perform most highly on, and it's actually the highest in the world, mm. lots of countries do a similar survey, so yep. it's benchmarked, the highest indicator is of the welcome that right. people are made to feel they're very welcome. Oh, that's interesting. That's well over 90%, which mm. is above the world average. Mm. Recently, there were consular warnings sent out to Chinese students about the risk of violence in Australia. Do you think this has an effect on Chinese students in Australia? 
Look, it's really difficult to say whether those specific warnings are having an effect yet. It's too early in the year for us to be able to say anything in terms of what the data is telling us. Mm. But I would say that based on on what I know, that I don't think that they will have an effect as they currently stand. I think one of the things, number one, it's really disappointing because Australia has a, a very strong international reputation as being an incredibly safe destination yeah. for not just students but for tourists. Yeah. It is a very safe country. Um, no question about that. So it's really unfortunate. But on the other hand, I think that Chinese officials, they are taking their duty of care very, very seriously. Mm. And last year, the Ministry of Education announced that China is now sending record numbers mm. of young people overseas to study. In 2017, they hit 600,000 people leaving China in that one year for the first time ever. That's a lot of young people mm. leaving a country in one year yeah. to go and commence study. Right. And they form part of the, the 2.4 million people who are currently studying outside of China. Okay. Chinese government, the Chinese embassies and the Chinese consular people, they take their duty of care responsibility for those students enormously mm. seriously. Yeah. It puts them under an enormous amount of pressure mm. to have that many people mm. um, to really have the personal care and responsibility for. Yeah. One of the things we've been doing in Australia, which we're going to continue to do, is working really, really closely with those consular people and with the embassy in um Australia, because they need to know that this is a partnership. Right. This is a shared responsibility. Mm. It's not all about the consular people taking on that burden. Mm. The universities take it seriously as well. Mm. And so re-emphasising and re-emphasising and re-emphasising that we see this as a shared responsibility. What proportion of Chinese students come back to China after completing their degrees or staying on in Australia? Chinese students come back okay. to China. Overwhelmingly. Okay. And about two months ago, the Ministry of Education here put out a press release saying that they had just hit record numbers of Chinese people returning in 2016 and 2017. Okay. So even if there's a bit of a delay, Chinese graduates, um, and you know, this is people who've graduated and then stayed on, in um, the country to work yep. are coming back to China in record numbers. That's because there, is, there are so many opportunities here. Right, okay. Um, so people want to come back and be part of it. Even if they've been out of the country for 15 years, they want to come back and be part of it. And there are some pretty major incentives in place in China to bring back, you know, in China they call people talents. Okay. To bring back the talents. To China, there's some really good incentives. And so that's an actual government policy to, to make sure there's no, so to speak, brain drain from China, that these students do come back once they've That's right. They overseas. do come back. And in actual fact, I was just um, giving a speech recently based and using some OECD data that shows that contrary to the brain drain, yeah. actually there's a very significant what they call brain circulation effect. So you'll get young people going overseas for study, they'll, a lot of them will stay on, they'll do a, a research higher degree and then they'll become part of a big research group and start, you know, being a scientist right. uh, or a researcher. And so they're returning back to China as scientists and researchers. 
So they might have left as a high school graduate, but mm. they're coming back as a scientist or a researcher. And they do acknowledge in this report that they need to do some more work in all of the business sectors to see what what's coming back to business because mm. people are bringing these skills, they're bringing their knowledge, they're bringing their networks back yep. and it's a massive inflow of capital okay. back into a country that is developing economically really rapidly. So for the students that do stay on in Australia, sometimes they can have difficulty in gaining employment. Is there anything that could be done either from the Australian business community or the universities to make Chinese students more employable in Australia? Well, this has been the really big focus over the past two to three years and it's a big focus of the Australian National Strategy for International Education and that strategy is, is work that's headed up by Minister Simon Birmingham but also includes all the portfolio ministers as well as a whole range of international education experts and what they recognise is it's not just enough to provide high quality education but you have to, have to actually link it to the world of work. Mm. So more and more what you're seeing now is universities and other education providers building in internships, building in work integrated learning and employability skills into their course offerings. Mm. And I was just looking at one today actually, um, Federation Uni has got a whole suite of products that it offers to international, international students free of charge and that includes placements oh, right. in workplaces okay. for uh, work experience because it's not enough these days to have a qualification you've got to have a qualification no, plus work experience yeah. now we understand that in Australia yeah uh, and our visa settings allow for that to happen yeah. we also understand it for our own people because with the new uh, Colombo plan which is supporting record numbers of Australian students undergraduate students to study in the Indo-Pacific region built into that program is an internship so I'll give you an, an, an excellent example. There's been a partnership between the Australian Technology Network Universities mm. who are really good in, in things like ICT uh, engineering. They've partnered up with Huawei and they've put in a consortium bid for a three-year, multi-year funded NCP program. And so kids from ATN universities, you know, so this is UTS, QUT, UniSA and mm. so on, they come up... They do some cultural and language training in Beijing and then they spend three weeks down with Huawei in their R&D centre oh, in Shenzhen. And what Huawei has said to me is, oh, we're really blown away by the new Colombo Plan program because mm. this program of attracting students into China, we've got that with lots of other countries, but most of the other countries send students that are just interested in the Chinese language and culture component. Okay. Australia is the only country that is sending young people who are doing undergraduate degrees in ICT and ICT-related fields. So they're kids that are really serious about um, working with companies like Huawei. It's a really, really positive program. And especially with the Chinese government's uh, China t Made in China 2025 initiative, that's such a amazing experience for Australian students to be in China at that time. Absolutely. And there will be wonderful employment opportunities mm. into the future. I've already seen people who I used to know in, in Canberra and back in Australia who are up here working with Alibaba. Yeah. Um, they're working with Tencent. You know, they're, they're already being attracted. Our top talents are being attracted mm. to work in these amazing companies here. 
Great. So, Catherine, what are you looking forward to in the future with education opportunities between Australia and China? I would really like to see more emphasis be given um, across the board to what we're doing, not just in universities, Mm. but what we're also doing with public and private TAFE and what we're doing in schools. And finally, I would really like to see our private higher education providers who under the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement were listed on the Chinese government's study abroad website at the end of um, 2016. I'd really like to see them get a bit of traction here. Mm. Um, For the ones that are interested, uh, because not all of them will be, but for the ones that really are interested in engaging with China, I'd like to see some of them um, get some traction with education agents here because we've got some amazing non-university higher education providers operating in really niche and very important areas to China, Mm. tourism. Mm. I mean, tourism, there is such a desperate demand here for skilled professionals in the tourist industry. Um, There's a desperate demand here for skilled professionals in the aged care industry, Mm. in early childhood, in the creative industries. And these are all things that our higher education providers that are not universities are wonderfully expert in. So I'd like to see them get a bit more profile. Well, so many interesting things to look forward to. Thanks for your time today, Catherine. You're very welcome, and thanks for inviting me to be interviewed. (laughs) Thanks to Catherine for having me at the Australian Embassy in Beijing, and we wish her all the best in her new endeavours back in Canberra. If you're interested in learning more about the Chinese student experience in Australia, keep an eye on the podcast as we'll be having a roundtable with Chinese students to hear how they feel about living and studying in Australia. For episode show notes, past episodes and subscription links, please visit www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts. If you have a friend, colleague or client that has an interest in China, it's People to People links and Australia-China relations, please pass on the podcast to them. Thanks again for listening and until next time, zai jian.